I'm immediately drawn to something next to this cabinet, which is the first advertisement we've seen for Kit Kat. Oh, yes. Now, the Kit Kat is a point of contention between myself and <laughs> Selina. Yeah. Because in Norway... We have something that is much better called Kvicklunch. And it's been a thing since the 20s or something. And people would bring it when they went skiing because um, it means quick lunch. But it's basically... It looks like a Kit Kat. And it has cho- it's chocolate-covered biscuit or what do you call it? Yeah. But... Yeah, it's really cute. The packaging is beautiful. It's red, green, yellow. And when you open it, there's a little story about going on a hike. <laughs> uh, sorry, I was just completely focused on the fact that you prefixed it by saying um, we have something that's much better. better. Yeah, because it is. There has actually been an international uh, Kit Kat competition somewhere, I don't know. And I know that Quick Lunch won. Okay, well, having tried both Kit Kat and Quick Lunch, I can tell you that they are identical. Absolutely not. Welcome to the Museum of Brands in Notting Hill. I'm the actor Matthew Horn. Hi, I'm set designer Selena Basili, and this is Meet Meet Me at at the Museum. It's a beautiful day and we're stood looking at the frontage of the museum. Uh, two huge murals and I can describe it as a sort of derivative of pop art but the branding that's been uh, painted has been changed slightly so their names are, are changed to protect copyright, I believe. Um, What strikes me most about the exterior is it's completely not what I was expecting. Yeah, I know. It doesn't look like a a place in Notting Hill. It almost looks a bit like a Bauhaus building or something with the white... It does have a very, yeah, 1930s feel to it. It does. The architecture is quite Art Nouveau and then daubed on the front of these murals, which are very sort of... 60s pop art inspired but I think probably the most striking thing is in my shameful ignorance I assumed that this museum would be one person's little hoarding project (laughs) but I thought I sort of thought that too actually to be completely honest and what what we are faced with is um, a very very stylish and beautiful Museum, which neither of us have been to, have exactly. we? Exactly. No, we haven't. So we're inside the Museum of Brands now, and it is very stylish it indeed, really is. isn't it, it, Selena? And it has the most amazing museum shop. <laughs> <laughs> well. This is what's wonderful about this museum, is that we're immediately into the gift shop, um, which may well be to do with um, brands and uh, commercialism and capitalism. But I think we can all agree that um, when coming to a museum, we love a gift shop, and they're normally at the end when you exit but you're straight into um, straight into the shop, uh-huh. and it gives you an indication as to the style and feel of the museum itself. Yeah. I, in fact, I, I can already feel colorful, my bank account depleting. I know, me too. They have a vintage Marmite puzzle. <laughs> oh no, 
And we must, um, uh, we must point out that we're here alone, and um, which is a real luxury oh, to yeah. be able to observe everything in peace. Yeah, that's good. I say alone with the exception of a gentleman called Liam. Hi, Liam. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the Museum of Brands. I'm Matthew. This is Selena. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to we meet you. We have our national art passes with us. What does that mean? Great. So with your national art pass, you get half price tickets. Uh, so normally it's £9, so £4.50 for you. That's fantastic. That so that gives amazing. us extra money to spend in this gift, gift shop. shop. <laughs> How wonderful. Uh, so when you guys are ready to start going around the museum, uh, it starts just behind you in the time tunnel. Uh, it takes you chronologically from the Victorian era right up to the present day. Wow. <gasps> okay, so we start in the Victorian era, and so we're turning right from the gift shop into the time tunnel, which is very exciting. Neither myself nor my partner, Selena, have been to this museum, and it's somewhere that I personally wanted to come partly because I'd never been, but partly because I have an interest in art and how art is influenced by brands and vice versa. And really to learn a bit about how branding came about. And I'm very interested in how brands and art cross over and I think the reason why we're here is that we both have a common interest in art and yeah. branding, brands and art are intrinsically linked, particularly in your line of work, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I work in the art department and film and TV and also set some for fashion and music videos. And Yeah, I love logos. It's so fun to look at the different types of graphics that people uh, have made throughout the years. And, yeah, I must admit, I've always wanted to uh, design a grocery store. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be so fun to be able to choose all the brands uh, or the logos that you'd like to have displayed. I mean, just from a very quick view, this whole place is like a big grocery it store, is. except for Actually. the products aren't inside the packaging. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we're going into what's called the time tunnel now. Um, it's a which, dark black tunnel. Yes, very, yeah, but like a, a moody art gallery. Yes. And there's a, a quote on the wall by John Betjeman, the poet and writer. When you understand the past, the confusion of the present becomes clearer. So as we go through, there's Victoriania or something oh, like really? that. Oh, <laughs> really? That's interesting. I think I've ever heard that before. But there's a mixture of things from... Uh, a lot of, like, newspapers and books and with beautiful drawings. You see, what's interesting about the, the early part of this is there's, there's lots of um, typography. Yes. So it, there's, there was obviously, you know, this is where advancements in printing and fonts and... Um, visual design in, in terms of wording. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, before imagery, it was, there's lots of text, so... Yeah, that's very true. That, but now that's what like stands out straight away. Even some with colours, actually. 
And then as we move further down through the time tunnel. Some beautiful clothes, Victorian clothes. Wow. Yeah, go a gorgeous Victorian dress to give you a flavour of the era. But as, you, as we come down, there's much more imagery. It's much more pictorial. Oh, isn't and it? if you turn left, there are toys and game boards. And I always find that so fun to look at. And big dolls' houses they would have, which were so detailed. Like, yeah. I always wanted to be a Victorian girl when I was a kid because they all had like beautiful uh, sun hats and we had the most beautiful dolls <laughs> that were had like bows and nice hair and you know. So Selena is drawn to the. Uh, you're drawn to the beauty of these dolls and yes. uh, a, a Victorian rocking horse, mm -hmm. but it's what um, uh, a lot of people would deem as very creepy. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually had porcelain dolls when I was, or China dolls, I guess you called them, when I was well, a kid, I and I, I thought they were really beautiful. I have a very funny feeling that we may be experiencing some more dolls a bit further <laughs> down the line. And as we turn the corner now, we get to... Chocolate! Okay. This is what we, that's, because we, we saw our show on TV, and they came to this museum and looked at old chocolate labels, and I'm now looking at some chocolate boxes from the 1880s and that is actually extraordinary because they're so beautiful they look quite kind of hand-painted actually like, don't they look they look like jewelry boxes they do look like jewelry boxes that is a crown it's an actual king's crown with like red velvet gold and all that and, and there's a what i can see is the first cadbury's um branding in a beautiful um hand-painted um chocolate box yeah it's interesting that you mention that they look like jewellery boxes yeah, because do. I don't know whether it's just in your mind, but you've immediately elevated chocolate to the level of jewellery. that's what it was back then. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, an absolute luxury. like something you could have every day like we do. Although, although just to highlight the quirkiness of the museum, all of these beautifully hand-painted chocolate boxes, which are, as we said, like jewellery boxes, are backed by a... A huge advertising sign for Bovril. What is Bovril? I don't think I know Bovril. Bovril is a um, a meat-based hot drink. Oh, what? Yes, that it, sounds disgusting. It's it's known for well, it would do to a vegetarian. <laughs> um, it's known really for football fans drinking oh. at half time. Of course, it's like American jerky or whatever you call it. Yes, except I guess that's so. not a drink. But yeah. yeah. I know that the reason I like going to museums with you is because um, you're from a different country and so your experience of art and design is very different to mine. Yeah. There's also a reasonable age gap between us, mm -hmm. so there's a generational thing going on there as yeah. well I suppose it always makes it very interesting to hear each other's views and yeah hear each other's views on any piece of art or design or whatever mm -hmm. but also learn I suppose I learn a lot from you about yeah and me from you <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah and I think going to museums is it's relevant for both of us for what we do really you see I think this whole experience today for you it's quite interesting because it's almost like work. Yeah. You're effectively a designer in this museum looking at design and I'm 
a consumer and a punter. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's uh, a dynamic that I think probably carries across all of our museum and art gallery visits, really, that we look at it from different angles. Okay, we've skipped forward in the time tunnel and we're now at the 1930s, which is what we were sort of greeted with architecturally at the front of the building, isn't it? And you can see a, a real advancement in branding and packaging of products. And how the quantity as well, or like how many different brands there were. And what I'm drawn to immediately, um, not I least because, <laughs> not least because I, that's what I had for breakfast, is um, the earliest box of Weetabix I think I've ever seen. That is actually extraordinary because I bought you a, a box the other day. You did it's buy me some. It is, it is like Jacob Rees-Mogg. Um, well, there's actually our only common ground. We like Weetabix in the morning. <laughs> oh, now... Now I'm completely drawn oh, to something yeah, here. Yeah. Oh my god. So <laughs> this weird. is extraordinary. So I, I believe we're still in the thirties. Yes, I yeah, can see we we're still in the thirties. And what's facing me now and I'm completely drawn to is <laughs> is a poster advertising Skegness. And Skegness is um, something that Selina is aware of, even though she's from Norway, um, because Skegness is a place uh, on the east coast of England, and it is a a holiday resort where I used to go as a child many, many, many times. And Skegness has a sort of mascot, a rather portly man with a pipe, in a yellow scarf and a blue jumper and black he looks Wellingtons. Like a seaman, like a. He's called the Jolly Fisherman. And Skegness is a classic seaside town that anybody who was from the East Midlands or Lincolnshire would would go to. Just just south of it is Mablethorpe, and then just south of that is Golden Sands. And as you went further south, it got more. Market, but Skegness, as a, from a working class family, was was our place, and it says Skegness is so bracing. <laughs> There's over twelve thousand items here wow. to look at. So um, yeah, there is a lot to take in. <laughs> it, there's so much to see here. Yeah, if I could, I would spend days. We shall definitely be returning. Yes, that's for sure. With our art passes. But as we move down through the time tunnel, we're going through to the 40s and 50s now. Now, this is, this is I know, going to draw your eye, because oh. in 1953, oh. we have um, a huge section of the coronation of the Queen. Yeah. I wouldn't class myself as a royalist per se, but I know Selena and... The Norwegian population generally have a fondness, shall no, we say, we just for think royalty. Nice people. 
Actually, we <laughs> Very saw, naive. And, yeah. We saw the Queen on Zoom last yes, night. Didn't, not, not a personal Zoom, but she was on Zoom on, on the television. On TV, on the news. And, and we that remarked was just about amazing. how wonderful she looked yeah, on Zoom. And it, yeah, it just makes them so ordinary. And, and having, had, um, having both of us done so many Zooms over the last year, yes. um, I just wanted to say to her, what's your secret? <laughs> Oh, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so we're now still in the 50s and we're literally walking into a, the most beautiful tiny little grocery store with just, yeah, lots of tins like the Heinz tomato soups and oh my God, and the Campbell's. So this is exactly what you wanted to see, isn't yes. it? All the tins and the, t- oh my God, the Tide washing powder boxes and, you know, all those funny, yeah, I just love what they... I think that 50s were like the best time period for all the labels, really, to be honest. In terms of the branding? Yeah, everything just looked so, I don't know, cute <laughs> and happy. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm drawn also to a, um, a brand which I've never, ever heard of, which is a gravy brand called Bavy. Yeah, I, was just, I just noticed that too. That. Which is maybe a portmanteau for brown gravy, but... <laughs> I don't know. You're right. <laughs> Beautiful box anyway. <laughs> I have always wanted to do our grocery store set, especially after there was several episodes in The Handmaid's Tale where there is this amazing grocery store that is just completely, it's really neat and white and beautiful and all the labels are incredible. And yeah, I just think that would be so fun to do. That's the thing though about filming to be you're almost always using fictional brands that the graphic designer invents because you're not allowed because of clearance or, yeah, you, you shouldn't be using the real brands unless they let you. <laughs> so I guess that's what I, I do love about my job. It's uh, extremely varied. Like Every day is different. Uh, what I need to get is very different. And what's fun about doing both film and TV and fashion and stuff is that Film and TV can often be very big, so your role is very specific, whilst in on smaller things like editorials and such. I get to do the whole thing a lot, which is very fun, because then I get to do the whole design, really. I am a child of the 80s, um, and I'm what I'm drawn to immediately other computers because of course late 70s early 80s we have computers and not just computers but home computers there's a computer here called the commodore 64 which was my second computer <laughs> my first computer was zx spectrum wow, with rubber name. keys which is just oh, here wow. As you can see here from my voice, I'm getting quite excited because this is really, really taking me back. The Sinclair ZX Spectrum, the box, it was a six, it's a Sinclair ZX Spectrum, 16K RAM personal computer. I mean, 16K. <laughs> that's extraordinary. That's like about two lines yeah. of a PDF. Um, <laughs> Uh, but the box that it's in oh, is wow. the actual box that my parents... My pa- I wanted a computer 
And my parents said, oh, just go upstairs and look under your duvet. And I pulled back the duvet (gasps) and there was this box. And I'm looking at that box right now. And it's making me quite emotional. It really is extraordinary. Um, I'm not nowadays particularly a computer games person, but, you know, laptops and phones which are effectively pocket computers are a huge part of our lives so this is this is quite an important section of the museum i think not just for me but for modern society really definitely changed everything that's for sure Oh. oh, we're in the 90s. Okay, so we're okay. just in the 90s now. <laughs> That's when I was born. <laughs> we're in the 90s now, and we're I'm, looking at I mean, what I imagine Selena's bedroom is Yeah, like. well, the Teletubbies. I grew up watching the Teletubbies, obviously. Yeah, that was one of my favourite shows. Oh, and here we go, Buzz Lightyear. Me and my brother, we collected all the Toy Story toys. We just loved Toy Story. You see, what you're mentioning now are, are, are brands or franchises that became global. But there's yeah. something just here which we, we mentioned recently, which I, did, which I personally thought was just an English thing, which is Postman Pat. Oh, no, we had him too. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, grew up to him as well. Because you sang me the theme song. Postman Pat, Postman Pat, me sin svarte vite katt. He's standing next to Fred Flintstone. Oh, I loved Fred He's standing Flintstone. next to and the Tasmanian and Devil Jerry. and Fred Flintstone. And Tom and Tom and Jerry. Dino from Flintstones. So, yeah, we're mo- now we're moving through the 1990s and are seeing lots more product nice. branding that we recognise, as, well as, the, as well as the whole Spice Girls section. I mean, Spice Girls were... I, I know they were big here, but they were also... The biggest in Norway. We all. I think I was probably like five when we were deciding who was who. If I was in a group of friends, I can't remember a name, but I always thought the one with the red hair was really pretty because she had the red glitter dress. Yeah, but Emma was always the favorite. (laughs) Oh, and there's actually it's a whole Toy Story shelf, and I can just see yeah all the characters in it. I must say, I think Toy Story still is probably one of the best animated films ever. Me and my brother, we liked the idea that the toys could come alive at night or whenever we weren't there. So we sort of believed in that a bit and pretended like that was actually a thing. So, yeah, we started collecting all the toys when, yeah, when we started traveling to Disney World. And I think the films, they're just so beautiful in a way. Like, they're just, yeah, about friendship. <laughs> we Actually, it was quite funny, but, I mean, Toy Story 3 or 4, I can't remember, it came out, like, a few years ago. And it was like 20 years later on. And both me and my brother were in our 20s when it came out. And we both cried when we watched it because it ended with, spoiler alert, the <laughs> toys being left behind at a new kid's house. And that was very sad because I felt like it was the end of our childhood. Uh, what's striking to me in the 90s as as there's a... Uh, recently, I lost my mother. And so I've been going through lots of stuff from my childhood, haven't I? And I found quite a few art books. But what's fascinating is that I seem to have just copied brand logos. (laughs) (laughs) And one one particular brand logo, which actually still exists today, is a character that was affiliated with 7-Up. The character was called Fido Dido. 
well, possibly Fido Dido, I don't know, but Fido Dido <laughs> is what he was known as. And what I'm looking at now are two Fido Dido branded personal hygiene products. One looks like either a hairspray. Actually, he, d- he has spiky hair, Fido Dido. Oh, that makes sense. So, so this is a hairspray, and then there's also a hair and body shampoo. <laughs> so, you know, when I was drawing Fido Dido, I was quite clearly and unwittingly a product of my own environment, whereas previously, although I was drawing uh, trees and birds because, you know, I I have a particular interest in birds and I consider myself an ornithologist to a degree, but (laughs) half of my artwork was was branding. And um, I, I know recently there was, I say recently, certainly in the last 10 years, there was a study that children were could recognize the the golden archers m of mcdonald's yeah, before I, they could read I, the word when i was two or three whenever we drove past mcdonald's i would shout out magdanite magdanite <laughs> which is crazy because i couldn't read when i was two or three or whatever and you probably couldn't write the word no, either definitely not i could barely draw but you knew what that m <laughs> yeah, meant that which was is McDonald's and which men's, is yeah. I, you know it's quite an extraordinarily powerful and profound thing isn't it really the power of advertising and branding well certainly for me personally looking at at these 90s products that is really for me is what is most striking Mm -hmm. is the power of brands and how it affects children because it clearly affected me as a person yeah but also it could have a negative impact too because I remember growing up and especially when it came to clothing if you didn't wear a certain brand you would be labeled as you know I think it's I think it's all a negative impact it's horrible to say it's just it's just that that's the way of the world but I totally agree I mean for me it was it was very much that if you didn't have the the right football boots yeah. you know if you didn't have puma kings it got to bullying you, especially yeah, in my you, school like it, if i didn't wear it yeah they wore ralph lauren t-shirts and yeah. if you didn't have that you'd get bullied it was I, and i think you know so. i i can distinctly remember i don't come from a wealthy family and this is no detriment to my my father at all or my mother but you know they bought me some Dunlop football boots and I genuinely felt fear and shame that I'm yeah. going to have to go in when everybody's wearing Puma Kings with these Dunlop boots yeah. that's a pretty insidious thing mm-hmm. in a, a young person's life and, and in modern society really yeah. still a great museum So we're just uh, now looking at the 2000s and uh, passing uh, something which reminds me very much of my childhood, which is an old Tizer bottle. And we were talking about sustainability earlier, actually, weren't yeah. we? And um, so these Tizer bottles, this is a glass Tizer bottle, and you used to return these bottles and get some money back. Now that oh, that's ha- what we still have in Norway. And with you still plastic have that bottles. in Norway. We, it's, and we still do that. And I don't understand why it's not done here. It annoys me so much. It's such a waste. And like, there's no recycling. It really annoys me. <laughs> 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 and um, really yeah, warm. so we, we, we come to the end of the 
time tunnel and in a, an incredible juxtaposition against the shrine of One Direction, we meet Robert. Hello. Thank you. Well, I'm very Hello. nice to see you both. I'm Robert Opie. I'm, I'm responsible or irresponsible for this <laughs> vast collection, of which you only see a, a little bit of what there is, because there's a huge amount, like many museums, have a store which gives us great opportunity to do special exhibitions and look at things in different ways at various different times. So the museum keeps on changing and evolving. So there's more than what you've got here. This, this is a very small part. Oh my god, that I, is I won't, incredible! I won't, I won't tell you how small a part it is because <laughs> it shocks people. Wow. But most museums have a huge store of other things just because it's recording oh, we, uh, history. You can't, you can't leave us like that, Robert. <laughs> okay, so there's twelve thousand items here, roughly. Somewhere else, there's, there's another more. half a million items. What? <gasps> Oh, I really want to go. <laughs> that is absolutely extraordinary. Yes. Well, that, that's, that's my burden. It's, I, you know, I set out many years ago at the age of 16 to save Britain's throwaway heritage. And when I started, it was literally the everyday things that were around me at the time when I was at school. And then over time, I realised it was possible to actually save the history going back and that's what I've spent the last 50 years doing is looking for the history of all these things trying to put this vast jigsaw puzzle together Would you class yourself as a hoarder? I know I, no. I <laughs> <laughs> um, You might think I'm a hoarder but hoarders just hoard that's I'm actually true. looking at things and trying to be selective yeah. I'm trying to give the visitor here at the museum an idea of what life was like but recording it through our throwaway history. So it's made up of toys and games and packaging and magazines and all the things that have been very much part of our lives, but nobody actually saves this thing, because why would you? Yeah. And yet, here it is, surprisingly, amazingly, it is here to tell this extraordinary, unbelievable history, which has only evolved in the last 200 years. We both feel like we've been on a journey, but that journey, because of the sheer volume of items that you have, is very, very personal um, to each individual, very idiosyncratic to, to everybody that comes into the museum. Um, and the personal response is, is completely unique to that person. While so much of this stuff is homogenized, mm. it's very, very the experience of being here and what you've created is um, is very, very personal and deeply evocative. Well, I'm, I'm I'm so I'm really thrilled that you've discovered that because that's exactly the point. It is a story on many levels, as I say, but it is also your story mm. where you can get trapped in memories which you wouldn't normally tap into because you need the triggers to set off that journey and it is also potentially nostalgic because you might have talked to your parents yeah. or your grandparents about their lives and suddenly you can see what they were referring to suddenly you can get a sense of what their life was like and how it has changed and what I really love is people bringing their parents and grandparents yeah, and then capturing those personal memories, family memories, that are very individual, as exactly as you said. 
and it brings that story to life. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, in, and you, you obviously felt and do continue to feel compelled to, to, um, to collect these things and to preserve these things that you have said yourself um, are part of a, a, an, an exponentially growing throwaway society and uh, desire for more convenience. But is doing that not deeply inconvenient for you. <laughs> well, you, you have an insight knowledge which most people don't. I mean, it is, you're absolutely right, it's hell. <laughs> 50, 50 million Mars bars is, is hell to me, yes. <laughs> but how, can I ask, how, how have you figured out what to pick out of all your, everything you've collected? Well, yeah, it's either whatever is just around me at that particular moment... Mm. Or I've spent a deep moment in a darkened room trying to figure out what it is that that I could put on display. I mean, I could take everything out of this museum and replace it with totally different objects, wow. and it would still make sense. Wow. Because at each moment, um, particularly in, in the time tunnel, you are seeing a slice of history which can be represented in many different ways. Yeah. And after the birth of television, um, obviously that allowed brands to be pumped into people's homes when was the first television advertising well tv commercials started in 1955 so maybe this is a moment to break away and have a little listen to some of the early examples Ooh. that's so much better then than they are now i think okay great i would love, love to see it yeah i'd love to see more yes please. terrific <laughs> follow me thank you it's tingling fresh it's fresh as ice. It's Gibbs SR toothpaste. Here we are with the first TV commercial for Gibbs SR. It's a, it's a classic of understatement, but it's fun to watch because it is the first to be shown. You say it's the first, the first one. This is the first one, wow. 1955. Uh, when I say the first, the first in, in Britain. Okay. And brush with SR, the tingling fresh toothpaste for teeth and gums. Gibbs S.R. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. Extraordinary. Yeah. And I'll tell you why I find that extraordinary, because it follows a format which you see today. Yeah. Let's watch a another TV commercials, which will give you a sense of the way that TV commercials then started to become more exciting by certainly by using well-known television stars. Well, girls, your last day at the Zermatt School for Young Ladies, your final and most important lesson, how to spend Daddy's lovely money. This is a great ad uh, for Parker Penn's Penelope Keith promoting it in a, a, a remarkable way. She's so talented. Let's listen to this. Now then, all together, girls. Yes, Celia? Madame, does one spell pence with an S or a C? I don't think you need worry about that, my dear. The Parker Lady in white roll gold, £9.95. <laughs> Again, uh, the common theme here is it's aspirational. Yes. But it's also funny. Yeah. And I think the combination of aspiration and humour, it makes a winning formula for advertising in general. 
Absolutely, and one of the great keys to a good ad is you can watch it time and time and time again without getting bored. Yeah. I have watched that a lot. There aren't that many <laughs> good ones anymore, that's for sure. Well, there were very few funny ones, yeah. genuinely. I mean, th- I mean, there was one probably about 20 years ago now with Peter Kay, and I think, I think it was for Bitter, and that was extremely funny. And I think if you can make somebody laugh, then they're more likely to buy your product. <laughs> But, of course, you make it too funny, people forget actually which brand you're selling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm curious to know, get your thoughts on how art and nature has uh, affected branding and manufacture. Well, I suppose almost the question is, how has branding or brands or products or graphics or whichever way you want to look at it, how has that transformed the way that we look at things? Um, it's, it's an addition, whereas you go back two or three hundred years ago and it's a different world. It's a world where nothing really changes from one decade to the next. It's a world where you're much more in tune with nature because it's right on your doorstep. We don't have major cities. We don't have sky-rise buildings. We don't have so much of this kind of busy, busy, frantic world that we live in today. And you know the names of the birds and the trees. You know the seasons because we don't have canned food at that time. We know the life that is lived one year is going to be the same next year, is going to be the same way in which we live for the rest of our lives. People don't move out of their local village very much. They are just akin to the society in which they were born. Today's world is frantic by comparison. Um, And children grow up in a world where they identify with the brands before they can even talk, way before they know the names of birds and trees and so on. Do you find it sad that a child may know who Ronald McDonald is before they know what a heron is. I don't think it's sad in one sense because there's no way round it. It, it is just part of the way we live. But we, what we mustn't forget is that there is a world which is predominant, cannot be changed. It is part of our lives. It's just that we've got a whole new layer of society imposed upon us And what we've got to make sure is that we really understand the way we are now trashing the life that was once very stable, and we are causing that. And we've got to take several steps back and try and readjust the thinking that we have and understanding where this transformation has changed and how it's happened and when it happened. So... In the time tunnel, you can see that. You can see when motor cars arrived and horses disappeared. You can see when mass entertainment began, when plastic started. How can we get back to where we were? Well, we need to understand how plastics, for instance, have changed the way we live, have made our lives much easier and cheaper and more straightforward, but it needs to be rationalised against the way that our world is, and we need to be aware of how that is changing, 
how fast it's changing, but make rational decisions about how we can get back to a more sensible era. Well, we've finished our tour, haven't we? Yes. That Did was, you have a nice time? Oh my God, the best. I, I just need to come back and walk around slowly and just look at every single item one day because, yeah, there was so much to see and so much to take in. Yeah, I was really, really surprised today, I think, which sounds quite trite, but it was um, I, it was not what I expected no. at all. I, I expected a sort of quite dusty and musty, pokey, odd little room full of um, quirky items, and it, it's, it's the opposite of that. It is a progressive and stylish uh, museum and which educating and just as you know should be bigger and yeah and and w- more well known than it than it is it's yeah. a really really fascinating place and i think what's most striking is is how personally engaging it is i know it's like i, I d- it just made me want to bring my whole family like parents and uh, if I had grandparents you know <laughs> it'd be amazing. but that's amazing though because most of these brands that we've seen are all uh, British products and I know but there were still so many that it's so evocative for you yeah. as well being from Norway yeah so you know I think the museum of brands is it's a, a really incredible resource for oh, people definitely. who work in the industries that we work in. Yeah, but, but also but not for all, but everybody, everyone. Yeah. You know, everyone. And I really recommend that people come. And yeah, me too. I think it would be, I mean, we will certainly come back and it will be more exciting to be here with other people, to yes. hear other people's reactions. Exactly. And um, also, I think probably at that point, the heating will be on. Yes. <laughs> thanks for listening to meet me at the museum with me matthew horn and me selena basili at the museum of brands in notting hill if you like this episode of the podcast please rate subscribe or tell a friend and don't forget you can show your love for museums with a national art pass it gives you great benefits at hundreds of venues whilst raising money to support them